0: Before I begin, I would like to preface this. All of the quotes I'll be using are from Neil Gaiman, the writer of The Sandman, a graphic novel series which follows the story of Morpheus, the anthropomorphic personification of dream, the physical form of sleeping, imagination, and perception. Neil Gaiman is a huge influence on my writing, and has a huge influence on my viewpoint of our human nature. Imagination and perception is the window into how we sense reality around us. I consider myself a connoisseur of imagination, as it's what I do with most of my free time. Creativity is a difficult concept to truly contemplate, and as I've found with most of the rest of reality, crumbles upon close inspection. As if to hide some wisdom you're never meant to behold. The fact that I can look upon all of you and see your faces, go up and touch your hand to shake it, yet I am unable to know what you're thinking confounds me." A quote from Samuel. Everybody has a secret world inside of them. I mean everybody. All the people in the whole world. No matter how dull and boring they are on the outside, inside them they got an unimaginable, magnificent, wonderful, stupid, amazing worlds. Not just one world, hundreds of them, thousands maybe. Where does perception even happen? When does it happen? The Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows created the word Sonder, which they define as the realization that each random passerby is living a life as vivid and complex as your own. What a great word. Greatly profound. Perception is our tool outwards, but not inwards. We see and hear, yet share nothing internally. Communicating what we are thinking and perceiving, that is creativity. One of my personal favorite examples of creativity is storytelling. You've all heard one before. In fact, I'm telling you one right now. I'm translating the intangible, incorporeal ideas in my head, out of my mouth, and into your ears. Somehow, I've broken off a piece of the thing that has never existed, an idea, and you took it. Each of us having the same thought in our head that has no weight, no mass. yet this story is priceless. Dreams. Dreams are the stories we tell ourselves when we are alone, slipping through the doorway into our head under the night sky. Most of us walk around in our own head during the night, but I'm sure many of you have also experienced the phenomenon known as daydreaming. In both, you go into this trance. Engrossed in the infinity that is your imagination, unfolding endlessly. Delighted in the nothing that is the space in your head, which does not exist, building a bottomless, boundless world. It is never only a dream. From Sandman number 3. The Sandman series has a central theme of questioning our reality, and whether or not it's a figment of our perception and even if that matters. From Sandman, Things need not to have happened to be true. Tales and dreams are the shadow truths that will endure when mere facts are dust and ashes and forgot. Does our perception create reality? What if we are not placed in a stagnant world together where each person sees, smells, or hears the same experience? but a world we create, a fairy tale, that some people happen to agree upon. We are the sum of our memories, and if we can't trust our memories, what can we trust? Can we trust ourselves? Here is my favorite example of how memories define us. All of you know that I exist. Whether you knew before now or you learned today, you now know I exist. Some of you you have known me for the entirety of my existence. But for those of you who at one point did not know me from when I was born to now, think back to when you didn't know me. To you, I did not exist. And if you never met me and no one ever told you about me, I would still not exist. But from the moment you learned about me, I had always existed right there, at that moment when you learned about my life. You replaced your reality with one that included me. In your mind you created me. And in this way, our creativity, creations, and perceptions are inseparable, entwined, indivisible. Creativity is the only outlet we have onto the world. Perception is another one of our creations. Bend to our will as we must. Creativity can shape how how we perceive the world, and how you see the world affects your creativity. From Sandman, Dream the world, not this pallid shadow of reality. Dream the world the way it truly is. The perception we create affects how we feel, what we strive for, and our moral compass. The Sandman series exemplifies this idea. At one point, Morpheus, the personification of dreams, enters Hell to retrieve something he's lost. He then attempts to leave, but is halted by Lucifer, the fallen angel. The million lords of Hell stand, arrayed around you. Tell us why we should let you leave. Helmet or no, you have no power here. What power have dreams in hell? You say I have no power. Perhaps you speak truly, but you say that dreams have no power here. Tell me, Lucifer Morningstar. Ask yourself, all of you, what power would hell have if those here imprisoned were not able to dream of heaven? In that moment, all the malevolent demons go silent, in part to make a pathway for Morpheus, as he walks out the gates of hell, as even Lucifer will not stop him. I will leave you with one more quote from the Sandman. Gilbert, a well-educated gentleman, attempts to calm down his friend, Rose Walker, a young woman who is in the middle of a tough situation, as she is scared for her life and for her family. He brings up philosophical questions to distract her. If I hear another one of your theological paradoxes, I'll scream, (laughs) frankly, today I don't care if God exists or not. I doubt he feels likewise, Miss Walker.
1: The theme this month has been creation, and I invited Jesse to join me in presenting this sermon because a while ago when I was talking about this theme at home, he started to say some things that I thought were interesting. And not wanting to simply steal his ideas from him, it seemed better to directly hear it. As Jesse pointed out in his remarks, to consider creation brings up the questions that we humans try to answer again and again. Who are we? Where did we come from? Where are we going? Cultures across the world and across time have created explanations and answers to these questions. I sometimes think that out of a self-centered sense of grandeur, we call our explanations science and their old explanations myth. All of these explanations have changed over time. Even our science has evolved and changed. There was Aristotelian science that believed in five elements, water, air, fire, and earth, and ether, the divine substance that makes up the heavens. There is Newtonian science that explains what happens on earth pretty darn well, but not so much on the subatomic level. And then we come to Einstein and his theory of the Big Bang, And we're moving into a time of quarks and dark matter, and who knows what will evolve out of that. Scientists look at theology and scoff, because many times our 21st century scientist is considering an 18th century theology. As Jesse quoted earlier, if I hear another of your theological paradoxes, I'll scream. Frankly, I don't care if God exists or not. The theologies that built our religious organizations in America, by and large, were based on Newtonian physics. And there is this huge mismatch between modern science and theology today. But what about a philosophy or a theology that is based more in Einsteinian physics? That would be process theology or philosophy, first developed by Alfred North Whitehead. I was honored to be able to study this in college and wrote my thesis on it, actually. In process theology, God is an important concept and a participant in creation. Not the the old-guy-in-the-sky kind of God, a very different image. It is a panentheist system. The sacred is in all parts of creation, but the sum of the parts is greater than the whole. J. McDaniel wrote a thorough process definition of God. The universe unfolds within a larger life, a love supreme who is continuously present as a lure toward wholeness relevant to the situation at hand. In human life, we experience this reality as an inner calling toward wisdom, compassion, and creativity. Wherever we see these three realities in human life, we see the presence of this love, thus named or not. This love is the soul of the universe, and we are small, but included in its life, not unlike the way in which embryos dwell within a womb, or fish swim within the ocean, or stars travel through the sky. This soul can be addressed in many ways, and one of the most important and common words for addressing the soul is God. The stars and galaxies are the body of God, and any form of life which exists on other planets are enfolded in the life of God, as is life on Earth. God is a circle whose center is everywhere and circumference is nowhere. As God beckons human beings toward wisdom, compassion, and creativity, God does not know the outcome of the beckoning in advance, because the future does not exist to be known. But God is steadfast in love, a friend to the friendless, and a source of inner peace. God can be conceived as father or mother or lover or friend. God is love. I really like that definition. I think it is quite suited to a Unitarian Universalist congregation. It's a little long-winded. If I use that definition every time I wanted to use the word God, the conversation would never actually move forward. So I use the word God as a shorthand But when I use that word, that definition is really what I mean. And really, the most important sentence in that paragraph is, God is love. And what is critical to understand here is that the God of process theology does not exist outside of the system. The universe is in process, and so is God. God is unfinished, infinitely unfinished. We add to God, and God adds to us. We live in a fluent world. Imagine a mountain on the banks of a river. It seems solid. It's not liquid. You can climb on it without sinking. You can fall on it and hurt your knee. It does not seem to be in process at all. It, it seems instead to be stubborn and changeless. But physicists tell us that this solidity is not the whole story. There is a great deal of energy in the mountain. Some of it is in the atoms and molecules of the mountain, and some of it is in the empty spaces, the vast, empty spaces. But all this energy is dynamic and changing, more like a river than a rock. It may look like a noun, but energetically it is a verb. <clears throat> it is complex. <clears throat> it is a complex and multifaceted event, an act of mountaining. Chinese philosophy speaks of it as possessing a continuous creativity of its own. Even the atoms are dynamic. Consider an electron within the atom. Quantum physicists tell us that it is composed of a series of momentary bursts of energy. A series of momentary happenings or pulsations. An electron is not solid and unchanging. It is the happening of one of these pulsations of energy, and then the happening of the next, and then the happening of the next. The electron is not a thing, but rather a succession of happenings. Buddhists tell us that our consciousness is a stream of perceptions and feelings and ideas which are never the same at any two moments. Physicists tell us that an electron is a stream of pulsations or energy, none of which are precisely identical at any two moments. Whitehead agrees with both of them. Everywhere we look, we see streams. The world is fluent like a river because the world is a process of becoming and its parts are processes of becoming too. In process thought, creativity is the absolute principle of existence and of every entity, whether it be a human being, a tree or an electron. Every entity has some degree of novelty in how it responds to other entities and it is not fully determined by causal or mechanistic laws. Process thought understands this absolute creativity to be part of all of creation and of God. God desires there to be novelty, change, evolution. There is no grand plan, and God does not command the universe. God is a verb. God is love. And that love lures us in itself to be co-creators in this universal creativity. How many times have you said or heard someone say, Oh, I'm not creative. Not me. In a process view, no one can really say that. Every action, reaction, intuition, decision is a creative coming together of many threads of one's existence that then leads into the next experience and the next. Creativity is the engine that fuels this, and it is the lure of love or God that leads us on. The world is not sacred because God created this world. That would be the old theology. It is sacred because it is creating God, That huge, amazingly wonderful cacophony of creativity, of love, and energy. Yesterday, when I was trying to find the conclusion to this sermon, I took a walk. I find that sometimes helps me unlock my words. I went down to the lake near my house. I took a moment to look at the water with the setting sun shimmering across it at the birds hunting and gathering in preparation, at the grass so ready to spring forth. And it hit me. Everything here, everything here is alive. The trees, yes. And the grass, yes. But the beams of light are alive. The atoms of water are alive. The air, unseen, is alive. All of it is interconnected. All of it is humming with a life force barely within my understanding. The creativity that powers this universe moves it ever-evolving into more complex system, systems. And the arc of that evolution